All right, welcome to the Sons of Thunder. My name is Joel Sedekes, and I am the, um, I'm what you might call, let's see, if this was SpongeBob, I would be like SpongeBob, and I'm joined by my brother Squidward. <laughs> yeah, Introduce great. yourself, Squid. That's great. From the man who is copying my mustache style currently. <laughs> as we speak. Now that's a rich one. That's really rich. And let me tell you why that's rich. I, I'm SpongeBob. You're you're the bubble guy. You're you like don't understand that reference, do you? No, I don't. You're yeah, like you wanted to play SpongeBob games, but you're you like don't know you're now. like. Uh, here's the thing. First of all, for, first first things first. You are Sandy the Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, Sandy was awesome. I like Sandy. She's from Texas. <laughs> really? Yeah. Come uh, on, man! You don't know anything about. SpongeBob. No, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. Listen, I will. I will also say this: Who had the mustache first? And Me, who, I did. Uh, wrong. That's I a lie. A, I had a Fu Manchu. No, you, yeah, I had a mustache first. No. I grew the mustache. Yes, I did. I grew the mustache first, and it was actually it was like early twenty fourteen handlebar first. But I did the no. Fu Manchu in twenty thirteen when I started my year of singleness. No, Fu I Manchu had, and I had a fro mullet. I yeah, well that was nice, but I did have I did have a mustache before you did. You did not have the that's, Fu Manchu. That's not true. That's yes, not true. Is. But let's totally continue true. on here. So I have uh, a new mic here. This is awesome. Got some headphones going in, and I can really tell we're the sons of thunder because your voice is booming in my ears right now. Yeah, absolutely blasting. That's exactly how it should be. I. I'm still working on a way where I can just have my voice in your ear constantly. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Parker. That would be awful. Don't do it. So now do it. Do it. Unbearable. That was my whole I, childhood, actually. So be a lot more be you'd be a lot more wise yeah. to heed the voice. What do, what, what do we what's what do we got going on? All right. So today we are talking about a topic which we've we've sort of broached before. We've sort of skimmed the surface like a stone skipping over the surface. Of, <clears throat> of surface of, uh, of, of some sort of surface yeah and uh that is the subject of jordan b peterson and so today we are going to talk about this man right here and uh but not this book we're talking about his 12 rules for life you can see that in the the camera there and the reason the reason why we're talking about jordan peterson's 12 rules of 12 rules for life is because first of all, he's very influential, and I would I would even say um, rightly so. I think he's having a, a big impact on the church, on young men. I think he's having a big impact on a lot of the of our own listenership. Park. I think if you go back and if you you know, I can actually analyze. Spotify gives us the stats on who's listening to our podcast. Yeah, and it's like the vast majority, and this is increasing all the time. Are is the is 18 to 27 but really even in that like those those early 20s there's a big coalition of guys who are listening and those are the guys that are listening to jordan peterson you know and these aren't the guys donning um antifa masks and running out in the street screeching these are the guys who are trying to get their lives together and so they're being influenced by peterson and so i think we decided hey that you know peterson's got some some pretty significant thoughts here maybe we ought to um you know analyze them why do you want to talk about them yeah well so we're a little bit late to the game this book came out in 2018 and uh i, I read it really quick and put out a book review because i wanted to be one of the first you know and now it's like we're a couple of years late here but uh peterson is still 
he's still influencing culture. He's still got a lot of really good things to say. And uh, last last semester here at TEDS, I wrote a research paper on his maps of meaning. And so um, what Peterson has even said, maps of meaning is like the the, the precondition of um, 12 rules for life. It's it's built up on all the work that he's, the careful work he's done in maps of meaning. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to integrate the two and uh, provide our listeners with a little bit more uh, background uh, for Peterson's thought and uh, introduction to him. Is this uh, a guy, has he personally influenced you, would you say? Yeah, I think so, man. Uh, well, definitely. I mean, I love the guy. Um, in in my paper on Maps of Meaning, I was pretty critical because I think his actual like formal uh, theoretical psychology and philosophy and theology is not all that great. But when it comes to practical stuff, man, it he, he's He's got a really good way of putting things. He's got a lot of sticky language, a lot of sticky analogies. And um, since he is kind of parasitic on a Christian view of the world, a lot of what he says uh, co coheres with Ooh. the Bible. Yeah, parasitic. Wow. It, it's a fact of matter. I'm not like trying to blast him yet, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he, can, he he considers himself broadly in uh, in a Christian framework. I would say he's he's definitely not right. But um, that's we talked about that. Uh, kind of a foil that he uses, or or just the milieu, or whatever you want to say. Do you think um, who's influenced you more, Jordan Peterson or Mark Driscoll? <laughs> Driscoll for sure. Wow, I love Driscoll. I'm not I'm not afraid of that. I love. I mean. Driscoll to me is dead though. Like the this new uh, creature that's walking around with Mark Driscoll's name is not Driscoll. Why? Why? He's a different man. Why? How so? He's a totally different guy. Totally different approach to everything. He's a, a different guy. Yeah, he doesn't look right in the. He looks different. He doesn't. Right? He, he looks, doesn't look in the camera and scream obscenities at. No. His congregation. Need that. That was gold. Yeah, it was. Gold. Uh, another thing. Another reason. Um, so Jordan Peterson. People who listen to Peterson still and, and still appreciate his work uh, are also the same kind of crowd who's listening to, to Jocko Willink. And yeah. that's a lot of the guys that I work with, a lot of wrestlers, a lot of football players, who hear the same kind of messages from their coaches growing up about um, putting a burden on your back, you know, about uh, taking up some responsibility, about facing life uh, with, a, with a stern face, you know, like a, like a flint and saying, I'm going to power through this. I'm going to like make things happen here. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to whine. I'm going to go happen to life. That That's a something that resonates with young men looking for direction, looking for guidance. I'm yeah, rightly so. I like that. Yeah. Rightly so. It should, it should resonate. I mean, what's the alternative? You know, the alternative is you're a victim, right. uh, be soft, be unsure about, you know, yourself and right. complain and, the uh, loudest and everything will go well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The the squeaky wheel gets the grease or, or you know, right. stand up. It, it's because there's a there's a big difference between standing up for your responsibilities and standing up for your perceived rights, uh, so to speak. Right. You, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, it, yeah. Well, we're well, going yeah, and, to and get into it. There's a difference between standing up for uh, those who don't have a voice. Right. Uh, versus, you know, clanging your own gong. I yeah. am a victim. Right. And there's a huge difference between that. Between you know, the two. I, a quick tangent. I was just thinking about this, and I hope this doesn't ruffle too many feathers here. But it's kind of for sure. I'm sure whatever you're about to say. Listen, this this whole idea that everyone is that healthcare is a human right, 
you obviously that's you've heard people say that right healthcare is a human right healthcare is you haven't you haven't heard that of course i've heard that come yeah. on healthcare is a human right it's 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 this idea it's asking okay i've got sick family members i understand the need for healthcare 100% but this idea that i need other men to provide for my family that's, just, that's really what this is it's i'm not man enough to to you know, handle things. I literally need it to just be provided for me. Now I've taken a lot of help in my life park. That's not, that's not the issue. Yeah. It, taking help is not the issue, but saying I am owed this by you, by you people. Right. I, I literally need to, I have no obligation to contribute anything. Yeah. You all have to provide that for me, which I think is, you know, is that, that healthcare is a human right is, is kind of that. If you take that to the extreme, that's what you're saying. It's, yeah. Well, it, there's there's two extremes, right? Because then there's the other extreme of rugged individualism. Right. That you're not a man if you can't provide for your family, and that's right. not it either. It's that's correct. It's, it's not just the individual; it's the individual family unit, right? Like right. mom taking care of your your other kids while your other mm -hmm. kid is in the hospital, and private donations to Lurie's Children, yep. uh, Lurie Children's Hospital, like mm -hmm. all those things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it takes a village, or whatever, right? Like, yeah. sure, sure, but yeah, that gets into positive and negative rights too, right? Like your. Mm -hmm. Your rights uh, end at my face. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, that's where it ends. Um, and so, to say healthcare is a human right means that someone else is forced to provide that right for you. Right, right. And yeah. and you know, um, in reading this book, we're going to really get into Peterson's first rule here. But in reading this book by Ron Dart, or edited by Ron Dart, it's the book is Myth and Meaning in Jordan Peterson. And one of the things, uh, one of the contributors talks about how. Peterson is so unique when he talks about free speech. Yeah. You want to talk about rights and things like that? He doesn't view, he doesn't discuss free speech just as this bare license, you know, just, you know, don't, don't, don't tread on me kind of thing. It's, yeah. It's not just, I, I can say whatever I want and you can't say boo. It's, it's, it's free speech, but it's freedom to not lie. It's freedom to, to, um, to speak the truth and you know one of the rules in the book elsewhere, it's, it's freedom to think mm, yeah that's right that's right you yeah. have to because he does draw on other people you have to be able to say things in order to think and react with people and yeah i'm going to say this and i i need to be able to say it and if mm. i can't then i i'll never know if it's right or not right 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 so it's it's freedom against being coerced but it's also yeah like you said it's freedom to be able to think and i don't know about you man but like i do my best thinking while i'm actually speaking you know i might think i have a good idea but then i start talking about it yeah. well actually i do my best thinking under coercion uh at the governmental level so basically the, the government well, uh, whatever they tell me to think i just feel yeah really good about that. well they probably know better actually i know a guy i don't know if he'll ever listen to this um if so he'll know i'm talking about him he literally told me that he thinks bernie sanders would be better at handling his money than like like not like maybe, like maybe, maybe he would maybe that guy's terrible at his money if he thinks that but but li literally it was not like Bernie Sanders has three houses and he's handling his money. Pretty that's well. true. That's true. But it wasn't like Bernie Sanders, if he were in my shoes, would do a better job. It was literally, yeah, he if Bernie Sanders money. would to actually take my money, he yeah. would do better with it. And I'm just, well. you know, that left me. And and I don't know why I'm thinking about Bernie Sanders, but that whole healthcare for all, sorry, not healthcare for all, but healthcare is a human right that you owe me. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel bad about what I just said about that. I might, I might have to just go back and delete that later. But. No, it's live, man. <clears throat> Good. Well, let's, since let's we're live, it. let's, let's get yeah. into it. Let's talk about uh, JBP's rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Stand up straight 
with your shoulders back. So um, the the big idea here that we want to really discuss is how biblical is this rule and how how what should Christians think about stand up straight with your shoulders back and all of the the secondary ideas that Peterson uh, presents along with that. So let's talk about, you know, this big idea of stand up straight with your shoulders back. How does he define it? I mean, he is talking about having good posture, maintaining good posture, um, which Park, we were both wrestlers. You know, you wrestled all the way into to college and, uh, you know, you're a division one wrestler and you know the importance of having the right posture, the right stance. Right. And, um, and, <laughs> you know, so, so what do you make of this? Um, what do you make of this injunction to stand up straight with your shoulders back? Is there something to this? Yeah. So, uh, it's complicated from a Christian perspective, right? There's, there's a lot that it actually, it, it does bring up for me as like, as a, as a man, as an American man, as a, oh, as a wrestler, uh, as a Christian man, right? So I think there's definitely something to it. I'd be lying if I didn't say that since I heard him say that back in 2016 or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of noticed myself a little bit more about my posture. Uh, and I've noticed other people's posture too, which is, it's really interesting if you watch people and you see the, the hang dog slumped shoulders. And there is something that we do read cues. Uh, I don't know if, how much it affects you. So, so Peterson's thing is if you, it's, it's behavior modification. If you stand up and intentionally put your shoulders back as if you're ready to face the world in a combative, uh, not necessarily aggressive, but saying I'm ready to face the world, mm -hmm. then your mind will do likewise. Your serotonin levels may increase and you're acting like a triumphant lobster. And there is a vulnerability to doing that as well. There's there's a vulnerability that comes with openness because Peterson talks yeah. about being slouched over like this is the posture you would take if you were being attacked by a wild beast because yeah. protecting your precious precious organs, your your precious innards, and <laughs> yeah, and and keeping them you know so that you know, you're you're the the lion or whatever is only able to to claw at your back. And yeah. if you're walking around life like that, it's it it actually invites attack. It actually, it, there's something subconscious that happens that where, where people see that and they say, oh, this is someone who's ready for an attack. I'm going to attack them. Um, yeah, you, I, I get confused on that. I get confused on that because um, you think like that's a sign of weakness, right? Someone's slunched over. You see a dog with his tail between his legs. Yeah, slunched it's over. Like, it's like, this is like, it's pathetic, you know, and, and you don't want to, you don't think, yeah, this is going to attack me. This is a threat. You may kick it or like, I'm not kicking dogs, but right. <laughs> I shouldn't say, yeah, you, you might kick, kick it. it. I mean, sure. Yeah, sure. Obviously you're going to kick it. It's not a threat. It's not like if you saw a pit, a pit bull just straight up with his beast of a chest and all his forearms and stuff looking at you, you'd be like, this is more threatening. You know what? What are you challenging me? You stupid dog. But that's just it. That's just it. If, if, a if, a if you're a predator and the prey is just hunched over there, it, it communicates an expectation on the part of the prey. I could very easily be eaten. I am vulnerable. You know, yeah. it's not, um, think about that, the great big pit bull with the, you know, the chest puffed out. That's an animal that says, you know, I, I dare you to attack me. Go yeah. ahead. See right. what's going to happen to you. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and so, and Peterson, I believe Peterson's a, a behavioralist, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he would hundred percent say that. I, I think he is. Yeah. Uh, he's a pragmatist and I think he would probably say he's a behaviorist. He's, he said that before, but I don't want to, yeah. You know, I, I think he is. Well, and that would make sense why he says, if you stand up straight with your shoulders back, that, that will actually, that will, it, it does more than just present yourself 
as someone who is more confident and more competent, he talks a lot about competence, Yeah, but it actually will begin the physio, the psychophysiomatic, I think is the word that he uses, the psychophysiomatic um, process of becoming more competent and more confident. Yeah. Listen, we should we should break down what he says in the in his actual book, and we should we've talked about this before, Park, but we should really just remind everybody about what the Matthew principle is and how oh, that man. how that factors in yeah. the Matthew principle that's found in Matthew thirteen twelve. Could you give us a just a reminder about that? Yeah, the Matthew principle. Uh, I can't find it now. Is uh, it's it's he who has more will be given, and mm-hmm. he who doesn't have. Uh, even what he does have will be taken from him. Right. And uh, the little he has, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a spiral. It's a spiral up or it's a spiral down. And, dude, this is a, a truth of reality. Yeah, Peterson yeah. calls it brutal. He says it's a brutal statement, but he yeah. says it's true. And and I believe it. The more money you have, the more money you're able to make. The less money you have. Like, it, if you don't have a job, how hard is it to get a job? But if you have a job, it's much more easy. It's much easier to transfer jobs to get an additional job to get references think about with podcasts man like how hard is it to get good guests when you're a nobody but once you get a good guest hey you could tell everyone else hey i had this guy on last week oh you had him on and then now i've had these five and oh now and now you're just in and now yeah yeah dude speaking of which i gotta i gotta tell you afterwards after this recording who i am uh gonna have on uh you're gonna flip man it's really exciting is it me yeah, it's you. Yes, it is actually. You're gonna you're gonna flip when you find out you're gonna get be a guest that'll be, that'll be on, my, on my podcast. So um, the, the the principle is also called Price's Law after Derek J. DeSola Price. Price's Law. I've heard of the Pareto principle. I have not heard of Price's Law. What is yeah. that? Price's Law. Same thing. Uh, the Matthew oh. principle. Okay. Well, um, the the Pareto principle. We've we've discussed this before. This is the eighty twenty rule. This is where. 20% of contributors tend to contribute 80% of the contributions. Are you saying that right? Is it Pareto? Maybe it's Pareto. Pareto. I think it's something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably Pareto. P-A-R-E-T-O. I've only, I've never heard it said. I've only ever read it. But but it's this idea that the the greatest contributors to society, the people, you know, um, the, the vast majority of music that orchestras playing today are, are, done by uh, were, were originally composed by a minuscule number a minuscule percentage of all the composers out there and even those composers who do get played it's a small percentage of their works and it's it's just so fascinating you think of the huge library of songs that orchestras have to play from and yet they're playing the same ones right. over and over and over yeah the the, the, contri- the contributions continue to to is multiply it, is, it, is it pareto distribution is that yeah, it might be Pareto distribution, but okay. but I've I've also seen Pareto principle. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's the Pareto distribution principle. Yeah, and well, so Peterson, Peterson uh, draws this back to lobsters, because first of all, it's genius. I I, I thought about this and I thought it was kind of silly, but I talked yeah yeah yeah. But it, it's genius. Everyone's yeah. talking about. It. Everyone wants to. Talk, this dude's talking about lobsters. What? Yeah. Yeah. And within his view of the world, his world and life view. It, it does make sense. It does. Uh, he believes that we are uh, evolved creatures, that we evolved from uh, a, a singular uh, life form, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And along that path are lobsters. And lobsters have a similar uh, neurochemistry, neurobiology as we do. And such that when they lose fights, 
they start to shrink back down. The, the neurochemistry changes. And he says their, their brains like melt and they, they're recast as a, a loser lobster brain. Yeah. And the winner gets more and he's got more serotonin, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. And, and they can react to uh, antidepressants. So if right. you put two lobsters together and you have them fight each other, you take the loser and you give him some serotonin, he'll go fight again and lose here's, again. Here's the difficulty. So, yeah, so you're right. He says that we diverged from lobsters 350 million years ago. And the I, I wonder what you think about this. And I, I do want to unpack this more. But when he's talking about lobsters, essentially what he's saying is after a lobster loses, let's say two, three fights in a row, these competitions with other lobsters, you know, maybe it gets one of its eyeball stalks cut. Maybe it gets, uh, you know, one of, one of its uh, claws injured or, or whatever, a vulnerable part of its underbelly is, is wounded. The lobster, it's like you said, it's, it's brain basically melts and it's reordered as this submissive depressed lobster. Yeah. Now I know he does say that antidepressants can, can affect the lobster, but that's really more of a, a, a psychosomatic effect. What what you don't see is a lobster learning to put its you know claws up and stand up straight and and stretch itself out. And you know a lobster that's a defeatist lobster is going to continue to be a defeated lobster, and that would seem to sort of undercut uh, Peterson's behavioralism. In other words, if we're descended from lobsters, we're just as biologically determined as as they are, unless there's some sort of me mechanism by which we can yeah. transcend our, you know, biological determinism. In other words, a lobster can't come back from defeat. You would think neither can a human being, which would sort of put this whole rule, uh, you know, it would sort of make it impossible for us to attain. I wonder, what do you think about that? Yeah. So he, he talks, he does talk about a uh, difference between us and uh, other animals, lesser evolved animals. Uh, he talks about it in, in maps of meaning for sure. He talks about the fact that uh, we are self-conscious and uh, Peterson's big into myths and the Joseph Campbell style, uh, Carl Jung style, uh, looking at Christianity through the, this lens of, of myth. And so what he's saying and is who are Joseph Campbell. What's that? Uh, Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, who are they? Yeah. Well, C Campbell, uh, he developed the idea of the uh, hero's journey and the, what is the hero with a thousand faces or 10,000 faces that there's these, uh, these great archetypal myths. And he was pulling from Jung, Carl Jung, uh, who talked about archetypes within, uh, within our collective unconscious. And so this, there's this collective unconscious that all humans have, like we all, uh, it's not necessarily like a metaphysical thing, but it's mm -hmm. it's through, it's weaved throughout all of our collective history. And so it, as we are growing, it uh, it's just inaugurated into us. like it's it's in the air that we breathe as humans. yeah, it's a little it's a little um mysterious it how is mysterious. these how these because like what are the archetypes well, grounded in? dude, this is why this is really interesting, actually. so that that was Peterson's whole project with maps of meaning. Hmm. It's to, to ground those uh, archetypes. Okay, so so just just to really spell this out, uh, these archetypes are these primal ideas that are embedded in humanity and probably even, uh, according to the evolutionary idea, e even in our in our non-human relatives, evolutionary relatives, which which you know neither you you nor I hold to, but it's these ideas that keep springing up. This is why so many of our stories seems yeah. so similar it's yeah. because it's the same archetypal ideas 
coming up. And the, and the, the yeah. question is, if all we are is evolved beasts, if we're just animals and, and we're really just dealing, you know, because even Peterson, when he talks about um, the spirit, he sort of speaks about spirit metaphorically. I want to talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah. But but if all we are are these psychosomatic unities, these these uh, these physical beings, what are the archetypes grounded in? They can't be grounded in changeable matter if they're these unchanging ideas. Yeah. So so uh, following the archetypes, archetypes are are like a beefed up version of memes, uh, not not memes that we share on Facebook. Even though memes that we share on Facebook are actually like yeah, that's that's what the meme theory is, which is really interesting. Which I believe Richard Dawkins was a uh, uh, a key proponent of. Or yeah, he, I think he, it's in the selfish gene he started. Talking yeah, which about is that. crazy interesting. Every time we're sharing a meme on Facebook, giving him a little tip of the hat. Uh, yeah. But but Peterson doesn't like memes. He thinks that they're like they're uh, less uh, intellectual archetypes, or you know, they're they're knockoff archetypes. So archetypes are these deep rooted things deep within our psyche, deep within our collective uh, unconscious. And Peterson's whole project was to say, yeah, where, where do these things come from? And he wrote a letter to his father early on in his career, which he includes in the end of Maps of Meaning saying, I think I'm onto it. I think I, I can figure out why we have these this, uh, this duality of order and chaos. Uh, it's because it, it maps onto our neurobiology. We have this left left brain and right brain, and uh, one is more more gregarious, and one is more uh, attracted to order. And so you're living on this razor's edge of the yin and the yang, and uh, that's that that's representative of our mind. That's why our brain, and that's why we have all these stories that represent chaos and order and this this eternal collision and so he's rooting it all in our actual neurobiology and yeah and even the prince saving the princess is sort of like order uh rescuing chaos yeah sort of. well and and so then again to, to bring it back to his his appropriation of christianity uh the fall which we would say is a moral failure moral corruption and a historical event in a historical event peterson would say that's our way of coping with snapping into self-consciousness to bring it all back right so we had consciousness uh, animals are conscious but uh, the lobster like you were saying he doesn't get to choose i'm going to put my claws up and now i'm going to change my neurobiology we can because we're self-conscious creatures but we had to come up with a story to to figure out like what happened to us that we can be these weird creatures who know there's something wrong with us to be self-conscious to see that we actually are naked and vulnerable yeah. so so he reinterprets the genesis story as the mind's uh self-awakening yeah his view of the bible is so he says the bible was thrown up from the sort of the massive of humanity you know in sort of deep time deep evolutionary time uh these 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 ideas sort of uh took root and the bible was thrown up over thousands of years and um, I, I misspoke there. Not that the Bible came arose in prehistory, but the Bible arose as sort of a um, a collection of books expressing. Man, he gives humanity so much credit here. You know that this idea that there's a cohesive story from start to finish, and that these universal truths could all be expressed in the single collection of books, um, just sort of arising from the human psyche and well, all these and, things. And because also because of his view of uh, JEDP, the JEDP model. Yeah, uh, yeah, right, right, right. right? And which so, is, so, so it's which, been all, it's been redacted, it's been added to, it's yeah, like a yeah. Wikipedia page. And so, yeah, it can be trusted because it's had thousands of years of collected uh, editing 
yeah. from uh, these these truths that come from here, but also do play out in history such that history can be mapped by yeah. studying neurobiology. Yeah, the JEDP theory of uh, the Bible is that the Bible was not actually, you know, the Torah was not actually written by Moses, for example. It was written by several different sources. There's the priestly sources, the Yahwistic, uh, Jahwistic sources. Uh, and, and essentially the Bible is really a collection, like you said, a Wikipedia page, um, and and we're we all kind of contributed to it, or many different people contributed to it, um, and you know it, it takes it it takes a pretty big leap of incredulity to, or I should say I should say credulity yeah. to read the, to read the Bible and see how cohesive it is and go oh yeah sure I think a community came up with this as opposed to uh, you know the divine author who actually is controlling and inspiring the words that he wants you know that makes a lot more sense yeah totally and you know but if you're Peterson. He he really holds, and I want to talk about this later, but he really holds scripture at such an arm's length. He holds it reverently, but he does so at such a safe distance that it will never, it can't actually impact him. Not in the way that you and I have been impacted right. by scripture. It's, we we, we got to get into that more. Well, it's super weird because it'd be like, it's like a weird idolatrous view of scripture, which is super weird to think about, right? Because mm -hmm. you think you can't idolize the scripture, but... Like if you really, really love Dostoevsky and you, you had a special copy in your house and you didn't even let people touch it and you would read it and you, he's the, oh man, he's the best writer ever. This really, really expresses the human condition. Wow. And you're like, you're reading that instead of doing your homework and instead of taking care of your kids, like you don't believe uh, that the story of the, the brothers uh, Karamazov um, you don't you don't believe that it actual it's actual history, but it it so tells of the human condition. It's it's so weird. He's like putting the Bible on this pedestal. That yeah, but so it's the wrong pedestal. Weird. Right, right. It's, it's so like in in putting the Bible on this pedestal, he's actually putting humanity on a pedestal rather yeah. than rather than God. He's he's not he's putting humanity on a pedestal, saying look what man has created, as opposed. To saying, look what God has given us. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, and so he's actually denied. It's it's this ironic thing because it seems like he's giving dignity to humanity, but what he's really saying is, look what these evolved, self-aware beasts created um, that doesn't necessarily have any grounding in objective metaphysical truth per se. Yeah. It really just it's really just this self-reflective collection of documents. Yeah. It's, it speaks about us. It's from us. It's well, through us. And he does have a, a place for revelation, at least in Maps of Meaning. But revelation is not in, inspiration that we believe the Holy Spirit carried authors along to write. A you know, sovereign God had them write exactly what he would have them write. But it's more like uh, I've had a revelation, right? I, I've been studying and studying, and I finally got that idea for my paper, and it was a spark of inspiration. It was a spark of revel. Wow, I got it, right? That's that's Petersonian. Uh, revelation. So while he would say, "Yeah, I still have a place for revelation," it, it is like you said, it's 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 humanistic. It comes out of our collective unconscious. All right, so let's get back to lobsters here. So, yeah. um, this, so Peterson's idea is that because we descend from the lobster and we see the 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 physical representation, the, sort of how each lobster, as Peterson puts it, he says. Each lobster carries with it a tally of its wins and losses, and you can see this in its posture, and and that's related to its, you know, biochemistry, its its uh, psycho psychophysiological chemistry. You yeah. know, more more serotonin equals more confidence equals better body language. Okay, but he says because we come from the lobster, that we should expect to see similar 
behaviorally, you know, you know, uh, similar chemical chemically affected behaviors in ourselves and, and behaviorally experientially impacted chemical balances in our bodies. Um, and, and, you know, I think, oh, he also talks about hierarchy as well, which we haven't really talked about. Yeah. That was, that was what I was going to bring up next. Yeah. Well, well, let's, let's get into that. Let's talk about what he says about hierarchy and then park. Let's really try to relate this to scripture and find out. And I've, I've got a few verses here. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want us to really sort of unpack is this, is what he's saying in accordance with scripture? Is, is it in accordance with what the Bible says about mankind, you know, about, about the world we live in, as well as the individual self? So what does yeah. he say about hierarchies? Let's, yeah. let's unpack So he that. says that, uh, that dominance hierarchies have been an essentially permanent feature of the environment to which all complex life has, adopt, has adopted. So there's these, these hierarchies of, um, of dominance that are present in the lobsters and he traces them back to lobsters one because it's wild that wow okay he's pointing the lobsters but then two from his view lobsters are ancient like they're before trees they're this really simplistic uh neural uh makeup they, they have this really simplistic unevolved uh yeah neural makeup he and loves so, to say that. that's we're talking about that's older than trees older than trees man love yeah that. so um so it would be really interesting if you could find these hierarchies in lobsters. Yeah, and he has. And so they've been here forever. So that means that uh, it's something we have to deal with. It's not, he says later, it's not just a result of capitalism or communism or the patriarchy or the matriarchy or any, any uh, instantiation of hierarchies. Those are instantiations. But this hierarchy of dominance that we find in the lobster who climbs up to the, to the top of the, the pile literally, and then fights off all the other lobsters and gets all the women through the, the Matthew principle. Yeah, and it's weird that a lobster is actually getting women. That's the weird Yeah, thing. I know. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, ladies just love, they sense that that's primordial and that thing is older than a tree and something about that. <laughs> right, right. So um, this diet, these, these dominance hierarchies are part of realities, part of life. And so we have to deal with that. And so instead of trying to just overthrow them, uh, work with it, right? Like, like climb the, the dominance hierarchy. Don't be uh, unruly. And he talks about, um, so if you're a lobster, man, you can destroy all the other lob all the other male lobsters and you can win. But he talks about somewhere along the line, it can change when you get to apes or primates, stuff like that. Uh, if you're not able to, if you're the chief top dog, if you're the male that's on top of the di dominance hierarchy and you don't work with others well, then a bunch of other ones will come along or the, or all the women will rise up and rip you to shreds. So at a certain point you have to, depending on where you are in the evolutionary chain, you may have to also work with others well. And that's, so, to be fair, that's not, that's not actually a moral statement. That's just purely it's pragmatic. pragmatic. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pragmatic. It's self-preservation. It's not. Hey, it's more moral to work with other people. Right. It's hey, if you want to survive, right? Do this. And his view of morality maybe will come up later in in, in the book, but um, he, yeah. it's it's shifting. It's constantly shifting because he doesn't have a transcendent uh, grounding of of moral truths. Yeah. So so that's a little bit about dominance hierarchies and how he ties that into the the lobster uh, ancestor theme. Yeah, and you know, it, it it's really interesting to see the similarities and the and the vast differences between his thought and like the neo-Marxist postmodern thought, which he talks a lot about how neo-Marxism and um and postmodernism 
are are these sort of strange bedfellows here, but they they really are working together. Um, and so in this in this book, Myth and Meaning in Jordan Peterson, um, Hunter Baker talks about he's one of the contributors, and he talks about how. Um, he says, because of the Marxist misunderstanding of unequal economic rewards as an act of oppression, rather than as a productive system of incentivization, they disrupt the, Pare the Pareto distribution. Or I'm going to pause here. Basically, Peterson points out that Marxists misunderstand the the Pareto principle. They look at these really successful elite, you know, the one percent, so to yeah. speak. And and never mind the fact that. All Americans pretty much are in the one, the global one percent. We're like the most rich, the most successful. Yeah, all this stuff. Okay, but um, they look. Marxists say that that's that's you know an unfair thing, and all of their policies that they propose are about disrupting that Pareto distribution. We're gonna tear it. We're gonna tax the rich out of. Uh, we're gonna tax the billionaires out of existence and into oblivion. And by doing that, we're gonna ensure a, a fairer world. Yeah. But what that does is that eliminates the incentivization the the in incentive of a, a productive society that says if you are successful if you are talented if you work hard then you will be rewarded for that and um so so baker continues he says disrupting the distribution of high rewards for high competence then leads to starvation scarcity and excessively high levels of political repression as revolutionaries attempt to hold on to power despite essentially failing in the task of governing for the good of the people so this this ties in park with what you were talking about um these these the the folks at the top if they um, now these are revolutionaries. These aren't the most talented. These are really, I mean, I guess you could say that they're the most talented at riling people up and fomenting revolution, sure. but they're not the most talented in, in being productive. Yeah. And, and helping to rule, uh, justly, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's going to tie in later when we talk about the, the biblical nature of all this, but, um, the Pareto principle far from being an unjust principle, although it might be brutal is actually something that's a benefit because we all benefit we might not, we might not like Bill Gates's stance on vaccinations per se. I'm just I'm not saying I do or don't, but you might not. But you can be very grateful for the advancements that he made in you know computer technology. Sure, sure. You know, same, well, same, uh, anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Another thing is uh, that's interesting is you may not be able to escape this this hierarchy, right? So so the Marxists come along and they have this revolution where everyone's supposed to be equal, and then it turns into a, a oligarchy, and and then they become they they're at the top. And it's just a worse system. It just doesn't function as well, uh, it's, or it's less just, or something like that. So uh, it's like there's a there's an episode of South Park where uh, they they go against Walmart. Walmart became this huge, massive, uh, which is actually interesting because I think they stole that from uh, from Philip K. Dick's Autofac, which is which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But then they all want to go against and they kill Walmart and they start going to this local mom and pop shop and then like it it splits or it, it uh, switches screens. And uh, it fast forwards to the future, and it's the same thing over again, just yeah, with different colors. The right? shop blows up and turns into the next Walmart. Right, right. And then they have to go and burn that down. And they do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of the understanding here. Uh, I, I think that it Peterson's understanding of of Marxism and uh, postmodernism is interesting. He's been he's been taken to task uh, a lot by that because you know the the postmoderns Christians always. Uh, we we go against them, uh, Miguel Foucault and stuff like that. They were and Derrida. They 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 were yeah. against Christianity, and they were. But 
they were against Marxism. Like the, the mm. postmoderns were originally, they were responding to Marxism. Well, that's why it's so weird that postmodernism and and Marxism are now, like I said, they're they're strange bedfellows. But that's what I'm saying. Where it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to talk about postmodernism. Like, yeah, postmodernism. If that means anything, right? like, well, and they're yeah. not. They're they're mm -hmm. hypermodern. Yeah. I get it, but it's just it's tricky. So I'll, I just want to acknowledge that Peterson's understanding of Postmodernism isn't understood by everyone equally, right? Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking of a quote when Jacques Derrida, who's one of the deconstructivists, uh, you know, sort of the the founding father of of deconstructionism. Um, deconstructivism? Deconstruction. Deconstructionism. Deconstructionism. You know, basically, you know, there is no objective truth and, you know, texts contain within themselves the seeds of their own destruction and the destruction of the author. In other words, nothing really has any meaning and there's no objective truth. Uh, one professor, after Derrida had died, he said, well, Jacques Derrida has died if death can be said to mean anything. <laughs> death is, is anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was very good. I probably butchered that <laughs> butchered that story. Um, now, here's here's the question, man. Is is what Peterson says, this idea of hierarchies, this idea of stand yeah. up straight with your shoulders back. Is this true to the Bible's depiction of the world and of the self yeah so um peterson as you said about the lobsters how they they can't escape this system of, of being determined by their neurobiology i think that's true uh, about about lobsters about squirrels uh about conscious animals that aren't self-conscious they uh and and peterson talks about us he says you but standing up straight with your shoulders back is not something that is only physical because you're not only a body, you're a spirit, so to speak, a psyche as well. So he, he has a distinction between spirit and psyche. Standing up physically also implies and invokes and demands standing up metaphysically. Standing up means voluntary, voluntarily accepting the burden of being. Your nervous system responds in an entirely different manner when you face the demands of life voluntarily. You respond to a challenge instead of bracing for catastrophe. You see the gold the dragon hordes instead of shrinking in terror from the all too real fact of the dragon. You step forward to take your place in the dominance hierarchy and occupy your territory, manifesting your willingness to defend, expand, and transform it. That can all occur practically or symbolically as a physical or as a conceptual reconstructuring. Are you, what are you on? Uh, that's uh, 27 at the okay. top. Yeah, so, I, I had a quote from later on. Uh, I want to talk. Well, exact same page. So, so he's talking about um, we have to have something that stands outside the causal determinancy of neurobiology and matter and motion, the laws of physics. We have to. Uh, in order for us to take his advice, we have to be able to listen to it. We have to be able to mull it over. We have to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm feeling weak and I'm feeling all slouched over, but I'm mm -hmm. going to listen to what he said. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to choose to act contrary to the way that my neurobiology is causing me to feel mm -hmm. such that I can interact. So he has a form of in the philosophy of mind, what's called interactionism that are, we have a mind and it's somehow uh, free from the physical and yeah. our mind interacts with our body and our body interacts with our mind. So you can choose to think about Portillo's hot dogs and you can cause your body to sal to salivate or you can be really hungry and that, 
triggers your mind to think about Portillo's hot dogs. Mm -hmm. Two different scenarios that show we have this interactionism in our mind. Yeah, there's a there's a dualism between the 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 psyche and the the soma, the body. So we're right. we're, we're a psychosomatic unity. Yeah, that whatever the heck that means, dude. Theologians. I know you don't love, like that. I know. I hate it. They love saying that, and it because they they go Descartes an idiot. Descartes so dumb. Obviously, we're a psychosomatic unity. And you go, what does that mean, bro? And they're like, well, we're a body and a soul. I'm like, okay, like, stop, stop hating on Descartes. You guys don't know what you're talking about. What, what I you you lost me, man. What 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 is Descartes doesn't say we're a psychosomatic unity. No, he does say that people. Yeah, he love, does that. He, re, he reasons the, his way through that. Right, theologians always always take issue with Descartes. With Descartes, the father of modernism, and man, he just had us. We were brains on sticks in his view. Obviously, we're more integrated. We're a psychosomatic unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, bro, that's just a fancy way of saying body and soul. Okay, right. we get it, it. All right. So, but when Peterson talks about this is this is uh this is one of the most frustrating things hmm. about about his thought. And it's the way that he refers to God and the spirit. He, he'll he get all the way there. He'll get to the door where he's going to start talking about theology. And then he stops and he calls the whole room uh, uh, metaphorical. So on, in other words, look, he, on page 27, he's, here's what he says. He goes, to stand up straight with your shoulders back, is to accept the terrible responsibility of life with eyes wide open, skipping ahead, he says, it means willingly undertaking the sacrifices necessary to generate a productive and meaningful reality. It means acting to please God in the ancient language. Yeah. And it's like, dude, okay, in the ancient language, that's not, it, that's not, it makes it sound as if it's this ancient outdated idea or even if you even if you want to say ah yes the ancients they were wise even in their simplistic theistic faith but but nevertheless even in spite of that there was something more profound they didn't know and they talked about god and gods but but there is a deeper truth behind that even if we today wouldn't ascribe it to you know the divinity and i want to be charitable in in reading him and maybe when he says ancient language what he means is these are truths that have been around since ancient times in other words they are time tested but it sounds as i first read this i my thought was dude you're you're putting this again on this mythological pedestal as a way of not having to deal with this the god question that is yeah. immediate you're you're looking at his creation you're you're reading his truth from creation and you refuse to deal with God as a personal deity. You want to keep him in, in mythology and archetype. What do yeah. You think? Well, so for him, uh, mythology and archetype is the highest thing that you could talk about. Right. So, so for us, we're like, bro, God is more than a myth. He's a metaphysical ontic reference for everything. And he's like, well, no myth, myth is the deepest form of truth. It's, it's passed on wisdom from eons ago that, that it's, uh, finds its roots or is the root of reality. It's wisdom for life. Yeah. How could anything be better than that? It's very man-centered, though. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, I believe so. And and you'll notice in that quote that you brought up, he he did talk about the uh, the unconscious paradise of childhood and the burden of self-consciousness. And he talks about that much more in Maps of Meaning that that self-consciousness that we were talking about. But that self-consciousness is this precondition for acting on reality, for standing up straight with your shoulders back, ready to embrace the world uh, like your ancient uh, forefather lobster did. So 
uh, that that's another important aspect. Um, that's uh, and to make sense of it as a Christian, we are bodies and we are souls. We are uh, rational, volitional, and uh, effectual or uh, emotional beings. Now, these bodies and souls, would, do you think that they are united to one another? Yeah, there, I, I'm an interactionist. I believe that absolutely. It's it's obvious from any kind of like so, uh, studies today. No, don't do it. Don't do it. So what are we then? What what would be another? We're way we're, of we're psycho. Yeah, but we're, it's not the, it's not on the same level at all. Unity. No, it's on the same level. Uh, essentially, we are souls. You could change out your hand. You could. We talked about this with our Mariology. Yeah, yeah, Mariology. Mm -hmm. So, um, Mariology. Yeah, yeah. So, Mariology. I hope I hope someone comments on the way that you say ancient instead of ancient. Uh, I really hope I, someone's got to say something. Ancient. Yeah. So A N C K S H I N T. Yeah. Ancient. So, dude. So, uh, two two points while we wrap up here. So, uh, the, uh, a Christian can make sense of following Peterson's advice because we believe sure. that. Yeah, sure. The uh, the laws of physics absolutely do affect us. We are interactionists. We believe that our body and our soul interact together, like uh, Tony, like Iron Man being Tony Stark and the metal suit. For sure. The the suit breaks, he can't shoot out of his hands. Iron Man can't shoot. Like, that's us. Okay. But you have to have some capacity to transcend your biology. Otherwise, I can't listen to him. I'm just predetermined by my biology. And even to read his book was predetermined, right? So there's, there's no getting around that. So he affirms that. But I don't think the rest of his philosophy, psychology, or theology actually does allow a place for him to have a transcendent self that, that can transcend uh the laws of physics right no more than a lobster does i mean even if, even his idea that the the creation and uh fall story is mankind's way of explaining our own uh self-consciousness yeah that that's that still that still doesn't actually explain anything it just explains where the story came from no, there's no ontology there right there's no ontology so yeah. So, so, so what he's done is he's sort of substituting this, he's substituting a description of the purpose of a myth for an actual origin story. Yeah. And, yeah. And he doesn't have an, he doesn't have an origin story. That's no. Right. And, and, and behind everything, really, if you really break down what Peterson is saying, well, what is a man? A man really is no different than a lobster. I mean, a, lo a man can't be unless you want to say, "Well, a man's different than a lobster," but we just don't know why. Or no, how. he'd say he would say it's because we're self-conscious, because we we're more right, but, advanced. Uh, yeah, but, but that that self-consciousness is nothing more than just you know more complex thoughts in a more complex lobster. I mean, really, uh, like, he may, he says it's a huge deal the fact that we move from consciousness to self-consciousness. I and I agree, man. I just don't. I don't think that he okay. has any room in his ontology yeah. for a self-conscious mind. He, he said a, a soul or he said a spirit and a psyche. I don't think he has room for that. I don't yeah. think his, his neo-Darwinism allows for that at all or his pragmatism. Yeah. I, I love the guy, but I don't think it's rich enough. And I think he is on borrowed capital. He's stealing from the Christian worldview, yeah. but it, I don't think that actually he's able to incorporate it into his system. And I think it, it, it really does, uh, mess up all the gears if you're not thinking about it critically then it sounds awesome you just yeah, read right. it and you're like yeah dude i totally but if you go wait a second how does that fit with the uh the evolutionary theory you've strung together with us and lobsters i don't think it holds together very well it's but, 
it's a lot better than a lot of the self-help stuff out there. It's a lot better. I mean, yeah, I think it's a lot. It's a self-help book, man. He said that. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's better than it's better than Joel Osteen, who's yeah, sure. reportedly a Christian writing from you know a supposedly Christian idea, but you know his gumdrop, uh, gumdrop like uh, cotton candy, right? You go to bite it and it all disappears on you. Yeah, that's right. And and Peter, I mean uh, Peterson, at least you know you could follow his advice and actually, yeah, this this actually kind of makes a little sense. Yeah. You know, with with Osteen, I mean, you follow his advice, you end up with a life of disappointment. Yeah, you, you just say, "I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that." Yeah. I'm trying to speak things into existence, and nothing is coming into existence. Yeah, you know. Whereas well, with Peter's, we we, we well, sorry, sorry, we we talked about how does a Christian respond to this, right? So, well, yeah, and I want to share some scripture on this. Well, do you uh, what do you have? Well, the the self consciousness thing uh, is huge because we are image bearers of God. We we do transcend the natural order. We are his image bearers. We are here to represent him as uh, rational, volitional, moral creatures. And so for us, um, we don't have to be bound to this uh, this hierarchy, this dominance hierarchy. We can step back from that. And we can look outside and see squirrels, you know, just reacting to their uh, instincts. We don't have to act and react according to instincts. We can step back from that and we can we can have a, a different order of society. And Christianity calls us to an inverted dominance hierarchy. Hey, who's the first in the kingdom? Whoever's last. You know, who's going to be the, the chief among you? Whoever is the servant. Does Peterson address that at all? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he does, but I'm not sure what, he, what to make of it. I'm not sure. It, nothing like sticks out to me that says, oh, yeah, he does deal with that. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing, Doug Wilson talks about this. Um, what, what Doug Wilson says about servant leadership yeah. is really fascinating, man. He talks about how um, and I don't know if this is Wilson or, or somebody else, but when Jesus washed his disciples' feet on Maundy Thursday, he, um, which by the way, Maundy, I didn't realize this, Maundy comes from mandatum, which is Latin for mandate or command. And, yeah. and when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he gave them the mandate yeah. to, to wash others' feet. That's where we get Maundy Thursday from. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, but when Jesus did that and and he was he was washing their feet, as though he were a slave, he humbled himself down to the point of a slave. There was still no question in that room as to who was at the head of the dominance hierarchy there. Right. Jesus was still Lord. And yeah. they referred, they, and that's what made it so astonishing that he was doing that. So, and in and, and so many levels, dude, right? Like, like he's their rabbi. Yeah. Rabbi, mm -hmm. what? That's a total, that's inappropriate in an honor shame culture for the rabbi to wash the student's feet. And then, yeah, he is Christ, the Messiah, and he is Lord God, Yahweh, you know, right. like the second person of the Trinity, right? So right. there's like this three tiered, I, I don't know how many tiers, probably a ton of tiers, right? But he is probably three, the, the preeminent one washing the feet of the creature of dust. Yes. And, and so, you know, what this tells us is from a biblical perspective, I don't think, well, and I'm just, I'm going to say this. I think hierarchy is very biblical. And, and there was, there was a prominent Southern Baptist preacher recently, and I won't mention his name, who a couple of years ago tweeted about how he was, he was stepping into a new position and he was saying how he was really looking forward to dismantling all hierarchies, taking down all hierarchies. And he was raked over the coals. I, I don't know that he ever even noticed. I don't know how much attention he pays to the kind of people who would rake a statement like that over the coals. But yeah. he, he was raked over the coals because hierarchy is biblical. And Doug Wilson talks about this. Um, 
Jordan Peterson, who's not a Christian, talks about this, but think about it. Um, let me let me give you a couple of examples of, of hierarchy. All right, so, um, oh, now I can't find it, but uh, there's, think about the three forms of government that God has instituted in the world. There is the church, there's the family, and there's the state. And so, um, let's see, now I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, let's see, oh, here we go. Okay, so in the family, think about the hierarchy in the family. The husband is the head of the wife. The man is the head of the woman in the, in the family. Yeah. Okay. Which, which of course comes with the need to radically self-sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Okay. The leader is the one who's called to die. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Just like Christ. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a self-sacrificial leadership, but, but nevertheless, it's a hierarchy. The wife is called to submit to the husband. The husband is not called to submit to the wife. Whatever you may want to do with that um, first right. passage when Paul says, "Wife is not to called to die for her husband." The wife is not called to die for her husband. That's right. Right. And um, let me just put a quick comment up here from Larry. Uh, he says, "Hey, gentlemen, the stash power is strong with you too. Thank you, brother. We're we're waiting for you to join us. That's we're right. Waiting for you to join us. Um, in the family, parents are over children. Um, Colossians three twenty. And, and other passages that talk about children yeah. needing to submit to parents, fathers bringing up their children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Um, within the household, there would also, now this is in ancient times, there would be servants and slaves. I know I had to go there. Ancient. Uh, in, in ancient, what? Ancient, what? ancient, ancient. Ancient, in ancient times. Not anxious bench, it's it's not it's not ancient bench at all it's not anything that's a that's a hey, well, that's real, real, real quick here so so what you're what you're getting at in these examples we're, we're talking about hierarchies notice we're not talking about dominance hierarchies though right like the, the uh, that's an interesting point that i was just realizing. yeah 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 Go the husband doesn't dominate the wife uh doesn't dominate doesn't domineer over the wife yeah he's not dominating her uh, yeah, I would say I would say domineer is a better word for what's for when that goes same root anyways, but so it is the same root. But it's but, not. But it's the not, root of that is dominance, which means lord. Dom, it's not a okay, sure. But it's in in our context, in the way that word is is used today in our society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not this over overbearing uh, slavery situation, right? Correct. And then, and it goes all the way up to God, like God. Yeah dominates right god is god is lord he's of lord god. he literally right. dominates and and whatever he says goes but he also doesn't he's not this harsh ruler right jesus is described as uh uh not quenching a smoldering ash or yeah, not a, breaking uh, a bruised reed. right yeah that that's the kind of servant leadership that's the kind of hierarchy that that's a that's a godly christian hierarchy okay but really quick let's talk about i hope i don't create a fallacy here, an exegetical fallacy, but the word, the word dominate literally means to Lord, not to Lord it over. I think that's domineering. Okay. But, but to, to act in the function of Lord, well, like what is AD, right? Like uh, a domin something that means I know Domini, which means a uh, year of our right? Lord. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the word dominate means to function as Lord. Um, well, Lord, we, in modern English, we use the word Lord. Really, we don't have Lords of like, we have landlords. Okay. But we don't, we don't use Lord in the way that it, it's been used throughout history. We and use Lord. Terrible and, and out, like, think of your landlord, right? And then that's how we, that's how God is. Yeah. Yeah. Their conception of God off their landlord. Yeah. 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 But so we use Lord really only to refer to the Lord, you know, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But, um, 
the word Lord really, it, it could mean master or it could mean like sire or sir, really. In fact, you know how dad, you know, dad loves to be uh, very uh, unique. He calls God sir when he prays. He's like, you know, sir, sir, this. And that, 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 That's a Latin thing, actually. Uh, senor. They, they, they'll say God, uh, senor. Oh, oh, Latin meaning like a Latino. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Latinx, Latinx. 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 Yeah, but Pops, Pops is... Latin. He is Latinx. But he did not get the sir from there. That's just his own yes. weird. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So here, here, here. Let me let me make a biblical connection here. Sarah, Sarah was honored because she called. This is in the Bible. I didn't make this up. She called her husband Abram Lord. And people look at that and they go, Oh, that's terrible. She shouldn't call him Lord. But Lord, that really just means sir. All it means is that she's respecting her husband. That's all that it means. So I'd want to. I, I completely hear what you're saying. The husband is not to lord it over his wife. Far from it. That, that's we would say that that's reprehensible. That's that's evil for the husband to lord it over. I, but I, I know where you're going. But I'm, come on, the word lord has changed uh, since Christ. I know. I'm taking it back. I'm saying you can't because oh, Christ well. has forever changed that word. Oh no! You but you have one God and one Lord. Like right. my Christ is our. Oh well, okay. So, sure. so one Lord, for, one faith, one baptism. For Julie to call me Lord would be massive. No, no, no. And I and I and I'm not saying that whatsoever. Okay, okay, what okay. I'm what I'm saying is what I'm saying is um the the position of a husband in the household is is not the kind of tenuous thing that is only kept in place so long as he can influence his family so long as he can sort of constantly win them over and sort of like you know like leadership and when you think about oh, a leadership it's a position, position, it's, a position. It's, a, it's a it's a god-given position which, which means dude if you don't do that well that is a huge deal that's right that's right because you have to answer to the lord for you have that. to answer to him but you're representing him to your family dude yes yeah imagine your kids growing up and thinking dad god is like dad yeah. you know and dad sucks and it's like dude yeah. that's a yeah. really huge deal that you've that you've inculcated in your children's imagination. Okay. But in, in the, the study that I did years ago called self-confrontation, um, it does it. And actually Larry, if he's still watching, Larry and I did that together. I but, did that with you. you what? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You I'm and I did that bad. too. That's right. That's good. That's good. Who are you? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, no, that wasn't with uh, you. That was with some it, punk it kid. Was. It was me too. It was with uh, some punk kid. So yeah, that's me. Yeah. Uh, Here's the point. Hey, wrap it up because I got one more thing I want to talk about. All right, all right. Here, here's the point. Look, let's let's skip over that. It was a great point, but forget about it. Um, <laughs> well, the it, Christian response. The Christian response. Okay, so the the Christian response is this: hierarchy is a God given thing. Okay. Um, so some of that, you know, we don't have masters and slaves nowadays, thank God, but we do have employers and employees, sure, yeah. right? That's a, that's a hierarchy. The the we don't have princes and emperors nowadays, but we do have presidents, governors, and and uh, and police officers as a sort of an extension of that rightful God given authority. If, we have to submit some principles and deans. yeah, that, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, I would, I would, well, I guess if you're sub, if you subordinate yourself to them, if you join an educational institution, that's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Brought into that, right. that hierarchy. Yes. Okay. But, uh, but I'm talking about specifically the God given hierarchies of family church in the, and, and, deans. and, and what? And deans. <laughs> what, what do you think? Like, you think like. Dean Pelton like the, from community. Like, you ever seen that? No. What? From what? Wait, well, wait, right. from what? From what? Community. 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 Oh, the show Community? Yeah. No, I don't watch that pagan garbage. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, and what is South Park, by the way? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, so the, but there are, there are hierarchies. The, the difference is biblically speaking in the, in the family, 
the husband and father is supposed to be like Christ. You don't actually see the same mandate given for like the emperor or like the president. The president is not supposed to die for his people. Um, do you see what I'm saying? I don't see where are you getting that in scripture. Well, it, it's the, the 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 role of the prince is to bear the sword. In other words, to execute justice, to reward okay. good behavior, and to punish bad behavior. But it's a very limited authority. The, biblically speaking, the government's not supposed to do ninety nine percent of the things that our government does for us today. Uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. I right. I want to get back. I want to get back. Can we? So here's what I'm getting at. Hierarchy is biblical, um, but it's not. It's not necessarily the way that Peterson describes it. And I like what it's not a dominant hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. It's like a servant leader. I I love that. I know that we use that to to try and like take the uh take the edges off of uh complementarianism, right? And we servant lead we always go right to that immediately. But uh but uh yeah no I I think servant leadership is really good the way that that we were talking about it. What about servant what about servant rulership? I don't know, man. I know you want to ham it up as much as you can to follow uh, Doug Wilson and be a provocateur, but no, I'm not. That's I want to know what you're talking about. I, I want to talk about. I want to talk on, about moving on. Principles. So there's two things: dominance, hierarchy. We said not quite. Sure. But then uh, standing up straight with shoulders back, like yeah. that. It's not. That's facing the uh, the hierarchy. How Christian yeah. is that? Is that a manly thing? Like, what's the deal with that? Um, I I want to get your thoughts on this, man. So turning the other cheek. Um, and, and like the, the warrior in the garden motif. Are you familiar with that? Uh, flesh it out in 30 seconds. uh, Jordan Peterson and, um, Joe Rogan and these kind of guys will talk about being a warrior in the garden. Like it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in war. It's being able to do harm to someone, but having restraint because uh, Peter, this is something I learned from Peterson and I really, really like dude being, being a weakling is not noble. It's not a good thing to be Correct. this scrawny little dude who can't protect yourself or your right. family. What, what is a- actually admirable is someone who is strong and, and capable and competent and able to do harm, but doesn't, but, but radically controls themselves. That is gentleness. That is meekness. And according to Jesus, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's and, not the weak. It's right, not the weak. And that's, and that's what I wanted to bring up too. Like the meekness I always thought, yeah, it's like this scrawny dude. I always think of this scrawny dude in my mind. Uh, that's this, like this meek, like shrunked up, like lobster guy who just yeah, lost yeah, yeah. fights, right? But but this, I'm not sure how biblical this is, man, but what Peterson even talked about meekness and saying it's being able to turn the other cheek is strength. It's saying like, I'm just going to eat that insult. It's not like I can't fight back. And so, oh, look at that guy. Like he can't even do anything. It's like, that's the bigger guy. And he was slapped by the littler guy. And instead of destroying him and showing his dominance and and, and asserting, climbing the ladder of hierarchy, he turned his other cheek and said, you know, he just put his hand behind his back and did not react. It wasn't like someone pulled a gun and he didn't defend his family or anything. It was, he turned his, his other cheek when insulted. You know, you don't have to be commanded to lose a fight. You just lose it because you're weak. Right, 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 right. You don't you don't have to be commanded to get beat up. Yeah. You do have to be commanded to turn the other cheek, to be meek and to be gentle because yeah. that implies restraint. Yeah. Really, really quickly, Larry asked the question, what about young boys formally being addressed as master or old English lords and ladies? They are. Uh, he says that they aren't hierarchical terms. In a sense, they actually are because 
Um, lords and ladies, that is literally a term of nobility, which is indicated a higher uh, social position. And uh, the young- would Say master, right? Like you wouldn't, Mas Master Wayne, right? Like uh... Master Wayne, that's right. Well, I still remember when I was a kid, I ordered some um, markers from the, the Trix cereal. They had these fruit scented markers and they were addressed when I finally got them, like after six weeks, which is how long packages used to take in those days, they were addressed to Master Joel Sedicase. And what, I, what I've now learned as an adult is you address a child as master and when you become a man, it's mister. So th that's just sort uh. of this, that's like this, this, it's like the young master, you know, like someday you will become a master. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, over time that just got corrupted. I, I probably wouldn't read too much into it, yeah, but, but, um, but, but turn, turning the other cheek kind of stuff. It's like, right. Well, so Christ is the ultimate example of that, right? Like, absolutely. I, like on the cross, this is someone who was truly God and truly man and could have destroyed the whole universe at that time. And if he, he would have, and if he would have, like sneezed or had any kind of weakness of will in that moment, like, oh, no, kill them. You're like, everyone would have died. You know, like it took an enormous amount of restraint. And so we always have this weak Jesus up on the cross. And have you ever seen the jacked Jesus at all? There's a, a statue of Jack Jesus. There's a painting of Jack Jesus. And I think it's a Filipino statue that's the jacked one. It's Pacific Island, somewhere like that, I think. I don't know. And it's, like, it's like, haha, look at Jack Jesus, you know. But what they were showing, I think, I think I read up on this, was they're showing the spiritual strength of Christ in that mm -hmm. moment to conquer sin and death, to have restraint, to be, you know, tortured unto death, to give up his soul. Like, crazy. You know, it's, yeah. exact, I, it's the warrior in the garden, not the gardener in war. I, so, I love that. Th think about Matthew 26, 53 gets really at what you were saying, Park. Jesus says this. Or do you think I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? You know, Jesus himself is, according to scripture, the one in whom all things hold together, right? But yeah. but Jesus isn't even appealing to his his utter authority as a creator. He's, he's speaking about his ability. Talk about a, a hierarchy. He's not talking about his raw power. Don't oh, you sure. know I can snap my fingers and everybody could turn to dust like Thanos? Yeah. Instead, he's saying, I, I have this kind of relationship with mm. God. There is none higher than me. I am at the top of the spiritual food chain. And if I, if I snap my fingers, if I call on my father, he will send me at my request 12,000 angels or however, whatever a legion was, a thousand or, or multiple thousands of angels. Um, and they will just wipe you out. So I could appeal to my position um, as as you know the the top of this hierarchy, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. And and in that part, we look at that and we say that is what true meekness is. Yeah. That's it's not weakness. It is meekness. It's like a bulldog. And that's strength. It takes enormous amount of strength to have the power to act and not. To, to act in your own benefit and your own protection. Because it's restraint. Exactly. Restraint is so hard, dude. It's so hard. Well, it's like that proverb that says, uh, you know, it's better to control your own emotions than to take a city. Yeah. You know, it's better yeah. to keep your own, your own self in check than it is. It takes more control to do that than to overpower a, a city of a, you know, a million people or whatever. Right. Yeah. James talks about the, the, the power of the tongue there too. So, uh, uh, one thing to, to finish with, I talk with my guys about this all the time. And th this is something 
I think should be appropriated from Peterson, man. The the warrior in the garden kind of language, the turn the other cheek, those kind of things. I think a, a Christian hierarchy is not a dominance hierarchy. It is that inverted hierarchy of the first shall be last, um, that servant leadership role. And I think there's also something C.S. Lewis talks about the necessity of chivalry. And uh, if you guys are listening right now, just YouTube that. There's an awesome C.S. Lewis doodle about it where this guy draws, he doodles uh, out the, the speech. It's amazing. It's so good. Hey, but, real quick. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to communicate something a little confusing. So at one point, Jesus says, many who are first shall be last and the last first. What that's what that's conveying is in this life, there are many people who are, are downtrodden, who in the next life will be first in the kingdom, so to speak. Think about a guy like John the Baptist who, you know, Eight was, and yeah, honey. Right, right. But, and then Jesus said, uh, you know, that, that there's, you know, of, of men born among women, there's not been anybody greater than John the Baptist, but the least and the greatest of heaven is greater than him. So there yeah. are going to be people in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a, a there's going to be, hierarchy even in the kingdom of heaven i dare yeah. say totally but, but there's another point where jesus says and this is when he's washing the feet he says and i don't think those are both from the same passage i could be wrong but he says whoever would want to become the greatest among you must become the least and the servant of all that's actually a different um that's that's a different com kind of command the first one is indicative the first shall be last the last shall be first in this one it's if you want to be greater than then position yourself as a servant of others that's what greatness looks like so i just i, I no, that's, that's communicating the same thing one's an indicative and one's an imperative if he's saying or a subjunctive or yeah. saying, if, if you want this is a conditional if you want to do this then this. i don't I, I think that there's a subtle difference between the two uh meanings but that's fine okay so uh either way christ showing uh, him washing uh this the feet of his own uh, followers. His own yeah. That's that's the inverted uh, hierarchy that we're talking about. Yeah. But but so that this idea that I want to talk about with Lewis is the necessity of chivalry. That uh, the the ancient, they're maybe not ancient, but the uh, medieval medieval uh, view of a a chivalrous knight is someone who would fight in hand to hand combat with swords. And uh, who Lewis says was accustomed to seeing smashed faces, like how horrific! <laughs> He's accustomed to seeing smashed faces. But yeah. then, when he comes home in five days or whatever, he can go to a ball and be almost uh, dainty. Like uh, he's so meek that you would not expect him to do anything because he's gentle with the ladies. He's, you know, like dancing around. You see, like like uh, a father with his daughter. Yeah, know? yeah. He's and gentle it, with the ladies. That's good. It's it's. That's it's something that, that we need to like recapture, you know, this, this idea of meekness of not, not just being cool, being weak, but like make yourself strong man. make, I, I stand up straight your shoulders back, yeah. but not in a combative, I'm going to be a douche and push everyone out of the way, but I'm ready for action. And most importantly, that's to put myself behind someone else to put others in front of me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say put myself behind someone else if you're that's oh i guess if you're speaking in terms of prioritizing yeah but not, yeah yeah but not not in terms of i mean we're we we should be on the front lines in terms of facing the enemy in terms you know that's what a father you for know sure. we, we yeah. do that yeah we lay it down our lives for yes. a yes. lot of other people totally but, that, that also means intellectually bro c.s lewis also talks about um learning in wartime if we were to leave our our 
uh, brothers and sisters who aren't intellectual, if we were to leave them without teaching that we're we're doing and stuff like that, like that's that's preposterous. Yeah. We all have to to study and learn and help out the body. I just I love that idea, and I I do find a lot of that in Peterson, and I do think that does match up with reality. I just mm -hmm. think that his foundation is is uh, not firm. Yeah, I I'm with you, and you know just just one final thought on this really the, the posture that matters even more than our posture this is biblically speaking more than our posture towards other people is our posture towards god yeah so if you think the right attitude towards god when you realize how great and holy he is and how weak and sinful we are the right posture is falling on our face yeah um we must not exalt ourselves before god however is he in ezekiel chapter 2 verse 1 God comes down and speaks to Ezekiel, who is just floored and awed by the grandeur of God. And God says, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. God actually invites us to stand up straight with our shoulders back in front of him. It's this amazingly gracious um, uh, invitation to actually talk to God face to face. Yeah. To actually, and, and, and when you recognize we ought to cower before God because of our sin, but God covers over our sin. Yeah, That's what the blood right. of Jesus is all about. He covers over our sin. He He nails the record of our debt to the cross so that we can come boldly before the throne of God, as Hebrews says, and, and it says elsewhere. And, and now we can actually present ourselves to God as one approved, according to 2 Timothy 2.15. Jesus says we can take heart because he has overcome the world. So our confidence... Um, both before God and in in facing outwardly, horizontally, come not from our own ability to stand up straight with our shoulders back yeah. before men, but rather knowing that God has cleared away any obstacle that we might have had between himself and us. And and therefore, if we're right with God, we don't need to fear any man. Yeah. There's literally no, there's no reason for cowardice because the one, we shouldn't fear man, we should fear the one who can kill body and and throw body and soul into hell, according yeah. to Jesus. So there's really no room for cowardice, but it's rooted. And this is what I wish Peterson would, would recognize. Of course, he's not a Christian, but I wish he would recognize that confidence, that the confidence that he wants to see young men have can only be attained super. Let me say this. It can't reach its deepest level and it, it can't reach its, its uh, level of maximal authenticity. If you can even say it gets past superficiality, apart from Christ. Amen. You have to know Jesus to have that kind of bravery yeah. and courage towards the world. But that that's exactly what we see in the Apostle Paul, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Matt Chandler talks about that beautifully. Like, I don't care what you're going to say about me. The only thing, the only opinion I care about, I, I, I'm good with him. Like, because of Christ, I can stand up and have confidence. And, dude, talk about Matthew principle like that spirals around up and up and up you're not you're not like uh running around trying to get people to like you and like you don't care it's not that you're like flipping about it but hey i want to be winsome i as far as it depends on me i'll live at peace with all people but hey man if i can't please this guy at the end of the day like it's not about that he's not god and i'm i'm right with the lord like this is awesome that i, I love that i love the way you put that man that's a really really good point um, we, we talk about this in Athletes in Action, that God is our, our audience of one. Um, that's what we do. His opinion matters. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
All right, man, we got to wrap up. Yeah, um, this was good. Yeah, yeah, this was good. This is good. Um, I hope uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, my wife is probably going to watch this later. So I hope everything that I said about, I just want to make it clear. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to lay down my life for my wife. I love my wife. Yeah. I would never want to domineer over my wife. Yeah. So um, just, uh, you know, uh, hopefully that. The, the fact that you're apologizing shows that you aren't. So the fact. <laughs> The the, the uh, fact that you're, you're visible uh, trembling is showing that don't people are going to listen to this and they're going to think right, I'm actually right. trembling visibly. In fact, my my shoulders could not be further back right now. <laughs> yeah, I could good. not be sitting up straighter. All right, well, we hope that uh, we hope that it, it raised your serotonin levels. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. But before, we do that, before we do that, listen, if you're watching this on YouTube, we've got a ton of other videos. What what you want to do is go and watch the other video that Parker and I did. It's been one of our most popular episodes. It's called, What Should Bible-Believing Christians Think About Jordan Peterson? Watch that, and that'll be a good introduction to our discussion about Jordan Peterson. We've, we also did one um, where we talk about um, what makes the self persist over time. The thumbnail of it says, what makes you, you check that out because we also talk about Jordan Peterson in that as well. And there's a lot of philosoph uh, philosophy in that, that is going to, I think dovetail well with what we talked about today. If you're watching this on Facebook, drop what you're doing right now. Um, like the think Institute and go ahead and share this video because, uh, other people, need to see this. I think this is an important conversation, especially young men need to see these kind of conversations. Young Christian men need to know how do they navigate the thought of Jordan Peterson in a way that doesn't just write him off and also in a way that doesn't just, you know, sort of end up worshiping his thought as if it's, you know, the, he's the second coming of the apostle Paul or something like that. Right. So uh, Parker, what's your website? Uh, Parkersetacase.com. And uh, next time on the Sons of Thunder, we're going to talk rule two. Treat yep. yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I guess that's, that's about all we have for you. So until next time, uh, hope it, um, hope it clipped, uh, your opponent's eyeball stock. <laughs> we didn't talk enough about lobster. All right, all right, that's, a lobster <laughs> that's horrible. All right, well, hope it helps you. Uh, our opponent is Satan. Our opponent is Satan. That's good. Figure out your dominance hierarchy. Sort yourself out. Bucko.